Good morning, Todd. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? Fantastic. Look at this book cover. Oh, my God. This is what I want God to really look like. I want someone that's going to say, I asked you to listen to me. Now I'm telling you what to do. And this cover says so much. Yeah, it's a, it was really a great artwork done by the uh, the team there. They, it's a terrific book. It tells you just about everything you want to know that you didn't know. Stories that are like uh, not safe for radio, certainly. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of sex, a lot of debauchery, a lot of drug stories, uh, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. You know, working against and with you know the different personalities in business, including Vincent and Bischoff. All kinds of stuff like that. But you know what, though? You, you, you talk about the sex and the drugs and things. I, I've always looked at that as being that's the fringe benefit of doing what you're doing. I've never looked at that as being a hardcore negative. Well, it isn't a hardcore negative if it's a lifestyle. I mean, this is all these guys' lifestyle, including yeah. my own at that time. It was the 90s. It was 30 years ago. Uh, there wasn't any talk about AIDS and blood and what it could do if it got on someone else's blood or spit. None of that was even a factor or a thought back then. We just went for it. I mean, it was just straight out hardcore violence mm-hmm. and trying to give the fans a product that they could believe in. When I was a kid, I grew up watching Bruno San Martino yes. and Killer Kowalski, yeah. and I believed what I was watching. And then by the time I started the company, all they were doing was cartoons. Yeah. Every character was like a cartoon character. They even had a cartoon show on Saturday mornings. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to see something that I could believe in. And I started this, this company, and we put on shows that people could believe in because they were really getting out there and hitting each other. And there was a ton of people apparently had the same want and desire I did to be able to believe in what they were watching enjoy the, the product that way. Well, I found it to be inspiring as a martial artist. I'm a third degree uh, black belt in Taekwondo. And when I went to those tournaments, wow. I'm going I'm to be honest with you, man. I took your attitude to, to that ring because I wanted to make sure that I got a win. And some I would rather lose one or two points because I did something wrong and still come back and win the dang thing. Yeah, I totally, I can see that completely. I mean, at the time, Howard Stern was vilified by half of America and adored by half of America. Mm-hmm. And we were like Howard Stern of wrestling. We were like <laughs> R-rated wrestling. And when people would say, oh, I can't believe you said that or you, you did that, you ripped that girl's top or whatever it may be, I'd say two things, one, two words, then don't watch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, no one's forcing you to watch the show. Don't watch it. There's plenty of people out there who enjoy the product. Let them enjoy it. Go do your your PTC somewhere else. (laughs) The book we're talking about is Todd is God. You know what I also saw in this, Todd? I I see that it's also a business book. Because if you really look between the lines, look at the way that you you branded things so that people would start talking about it. Yeah, uh, well, I've been in business all my life. So that that part of it was kind of easy for me. But it does tell you the, the trail of how you go from a little hobby of a once a month bar show as Mike Smith's sports bar in front of 80 people. It shows you how the growth developed. It tells you how to start the, I started the promotion now. Anybody can start a promotion. They follow these kind of like blueprints. How did, how did you find the courage to be so bravely honest within these pages? I mean, like you said, you go places where other people would not even touch. Because that's what ECW was. Okay. I mean, honestly, it was just right out there. We're not going to try to lie to you. We're not going to try to jerk you around. If we had a stipulation that said uh, losing tag team can never tag again, Ian and Axel Rod have been a tag team for 15 years. But you know what? After that night, they never tagged again. They were never a team again. If we said someone's going to get unmasked, there wasn't another mask going underneath it. I hated that big yes, switch for yeah, kind of stuff. Yep, yep, yep. We did it. We gave them the truth. I mean, someone said they're going to get their top ripped off. They got their top ripped off. I mean, 
whatever the stipulation of the match was, we honored it. We never insulted the fans' intelligence. Yeah, you know, that's part of the story right there, Todd, that we don't talk about. And that is when we walk away disappointed from a live match. It's like, no, that's not the way I would have played it out. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, and their main events, double count out. You know, come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. We didn't have count outs in ECW, ever. <laughs> we didn't have disqualifications. It just went until somebody beat the other guy Dude, couldn't continue. Yeah, how did you teach those wrestlers to fly? Because seriously, come on, look at look at the air time they had. I didn't teach them anything. Believe me, <laughs> oh, I was, uh, and I got to experience what it was like having been being in the ring with against Bill Alfonso enough times to realize just how hard their job was, and their job was hard. Trying to keep the crowd going and perform and take a beating and give a beating. That's a lot going on at one time there. Now, I'm no professional wrestler, but I'm going to tell you right now, at 61, I feel every bit of my journey through martial arts, and I can't imagine what Cactus Jack or Terry Funk have been feeling. Or Sandman or any of them. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and even myself, and I'm 68 now. I mean, Sam and I go to the same doctor to get stem cell shots just so <laughs> you know, we can walk. Yeah, they didn't teach that stuff in high school, did they? <laughs> Hardly. You don't realize how 20 years later or 30 years later, your insides are like, okay, now we're going to pay you back for what you did to us 30 years that's ago. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's in the way that you walk and, and, and the way that, I mean, you basically, the way you groan. I mean, do you have your favorite groan? Uh, <laughs> Something on that level. That's me trying to raise my arm above my shoulder or me yep. trying to get out of bed. Yeah. So now when you write a book like this, you're actually clearing your mind, body, and soul of the journey. What have you opened yourself up to now? Because this book now, in all honesty, when you're when you're as creative as you are, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to us, the fans. Now it's time for, for Todd the God to go find something new to do. Well, I think I'm like to start heading towards retirement at this yeah. point. I mean, I've been working at, the, at my family business for almost 50 years. Um, and, of course, the ECW run in between that. Uh, and that's still to this day. Is, is it, was, it was a cathartic process here. I tried to be as honest as I could. I didn't hold anything back, including my own things that I did that were not necessarily something people would be like, you know, road trip stories. I mean, the, it's all in there. I mean, everything's there. The whole Paul and I are meeting, are getting along like best friends for so long, and then are falling apart, and how that happened, and what really happened there. All that's covered. How did you take this to national television? Because I mean, there had to have been some people going, Todd, this ah, Todd, there are censors. Oh, oh, oh. But you, for some reason, they said, "Come on in, get in here." So you found a bunch of believers, didn't you? Yeah. Well, first of all, when you're on things like uh, Sports Channel America and stuff like that. They'll, you know, then you're on all of a sudden all over the country without even knowing what time you're going to be on. I could be on three right. o'clock in the morning, one town, eleven, and people would find it on their own. And once they found it, they just didn't leave. I had a guy come up to me at a convention literally three months ago, man in his sixties, and he said to me, "I just want you to know, you saved my life." Mm-hmm. I said, "I did. What did I do? Did I say I was the father? I, mean, I saved your life." <laughs> and he said, "No, I'm dead serious. He goes, I, I was suicidal." Yeah, early 90s and I turned this thing on and at 2 o'clock in the morning I saw your show and I was riveted by what I was watching I'd never seen anything like this there. this isn't like any wrestling I've ever seen before and you left the show with a cliffhanger you have to wait to the following week to find out what happened mm-hmm. and I couldn't I had to wait I had to see what was going to happen and of course me waiting that extra week to see your show again 
things just changed in my life. And here I am 30 years later and I, God bless you for, you saved my life. That was heavy. I can totally get that in the way that I used to DVR you. I knew exactly when you were going to come on. Yes, it was at like three o'clock in the morning, but I still DVR'd it and I could watch it on my time. And I think that's the reason why I became such a fan of Extreme Championship Wrestling, because I got to see it on my time because of the DVR, because of technology. Yeah, we were an underground sensation. Yes. So then the thing is, is that when you have all of these wrestlers and you know that you're going to the matches, how do you guarantee the match in the next city tomorrow night? If Because like I said, you're flying in that ring. You're hitting harder than anybody else has ever hit in the history of wrestling. Well, we try to limit uh, as much best we could to two, two live shows a week. Okay. Because the guys, the guys' bodies couldn't, you know, couldn't go four or five nights a week like that, obviously. I mean, they're going out there getting smacked with two-by-fours and by chains and uh, barbed wire and Singapore canes and tables. And, you know, so two nights of that is about all these guys can handle. And a lot of it also explains a lot of the drug use, which, you know, is also mm-hmm. spilled out and spelled out in the book. Now, do you take this to the next level? Are we going to see something on Netflix or Hulu? Because, I mean, it's it's all, I mean, first of all, you're inside of our imaginations inside these pages, but you know we want to see moving pictures. Of course, I totally understand that. Actually, I have a niece out in California who's in production, and she's been in touch with Amazon and a few other companies about doing a docuseries. So we'll say they, they love the book. They loved it. They said, we want to do more with it. We just got to figure out what we want to do. Wrestling as I was growing up, because I, I was up in Montana as a kid, so that meant I got Nick Botwinkle and Vern Gagne. And, and the thing is, is that I, re- I realized that it was so regional. Did you run into that while you were forming uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling, that, that certain regions, like, for instance, those New York Mets fans love to you know, hit harder than anybody else, and yet if you went out to Seattle, well, nah, we, wa- we want to have a mellow wrestling match. Yeah, I mean... We're on the East Coast, obviously. And mm-hmm. first of all, start, starting in Philadelphia, which was already a totally a heel town. I mean, they loved the heels. They hated the baby faces. That was just <laughs> the kind of town. It's a blue-collar town. It's just the way they are. You're going to come out there and try to be a pretty boy, you know, with the long hair and the flowing robe. They hate you already. Whether you're supposed to be a good guy or not, they don't care. Uh, I, I remember being in a match when I was still a fan. At our civic center here, it was the Freebirds because of dynamic dudes. It's hard to believe that Shane Douglas was once a dynamic dude, but nonetheless, <laughs> in the middle of the match, the fans just started booing every single thing Johnny Ace or Shane Douglas did mm-hmm. and cheering for everything the Freebirds did. It was Garvin and, uh, and Michael Hayes. And the guys in the ring were like lost. They didn't know what to do. Like They didn't know how to react to that. So that's something that never had been, never been experienced before, but they booed every single thing. Now they do it. You know, like it's nothing today. Yeah. But back then it was unheard of. They were booing the bad uh, good guys and cheering the bad guys. And that's what we are. So that was a hard hitting, like I said, blue collar, love the bad guys kind of town. Yeah. How did you deal with those in wrestling when they were coming from other leagues and they wanted to be a part of extreme championship wrestling? But did you sit down with them and say, okay, we've got to change not only your image, but we've got to change your attitude as well. That would be like me being on a classic rock radio station and and playing Michael Bolton my entire career. They didn't believe it. They, They didn't believe I was a classic rocker. Well, for openers, everybody who came in and it didn't matter who it was and how big a star they were, had to do the job the first night in. And if they weren't willing to do that, then to me, they weren't willing to be a team player. Yeah, like, this was not, We were not going to make this about any one individual being more important than the rest of the company, so someone could hold us hostage down the road. We wanted every, you know, in that show, every act that came out, every match that came on, from the first to the last, had its own following, kind of thing, had its own chant, had its own. Everything was independent of each other, but we were all on the same team. So someone said, "No, I'm not doing a job. I'm not going to lose." I say, "Okay, well, then, you know, we don't need you." 
You're not, you're not going to be part of the team. You're not going to do us any good, even with your name value coming from one show. We're looking for something to grow with, not somebody to come in just one time, get a payday, and leave. Mm-hmm. You bring up a very interesting point because I've been blessed with the opportunity to talk with a lot of wrestlers, and that word team is so important. It is driven into their soul. And if you were to ask any of them who've been in more than one you know, big, large company what their favorite locker room of all time was, they're all, they all end up saying ECW. Yeah. We'd, they'd huddle around the monitor. I mean, you know, 10, 12 guys huddling around the monitor watching other people's matches. I remember Hall coming at back from the ring and going, what's everybody looking at? Yeah. What's going on? What what I miss? I'm mean, going, <laughs> nothing. They're, they're watching the next match because they want to help everyone, each other to succeed. You know, I've never seen that before. It's usually you do your match, you go, you get drunk, you leave. That's it. And I said, yeah, that, it was a different, a whole different kind of atmosphere. And it was led by Terry Funk, who was the greatest of malls, if you ask me. Oh, my God. Just even hearing Terry Funk's name. I mean, that, that right there, he was, to be with him at, at an arena and then to shake his hand at the end of one, oh, my God. I mean, that man knew how to make a connection. And to, oh my God, yes. And for him to have written the forward to my book, that meant a great deal to me because he was such an important part of what we did. Mm, mm. I mean, I love Terry Funk. I still see him in the back of the dressing room right now, calling the young boys over who were like so in so much pain. They were hurt. They couldn't lift their arms. He said, all you got to do is get a rental car. <laughs> and they all went, what you, I'm sorry? Like, is he talking gibberish? What do you mean get a rental car? He said, yeah, get the insurance. You run into a stop sign and they pay for all your medical bills. <laughs> The guys are going, oh, my God, I would never thought of that. This guy's, you know, old school all the way. <laughs> See, you could open up a school of how to survive in America. Uh, the the way that people are doing it secret with a, with a big secret attached to them. You're not kidding. <laughs> but that was, like I said, he was, he was, to me, he was like the godfather in there. He was <laughs> the guy that everybody went to and he made everybody around him better. Without him, no one would ever have heard of Public Enemy and Shane and Sabu and people like that. Yeah. Yeah, where does the wrestling world grow from here? Because I mean, you set the stage. Now we have to keep the performance alive. I can be honest, with you, I really like the fact that uh, Paul took that whole thing with Roman Reigns and the Bloodline and turned it into like a one-year soap opera. Because mm-hmm. what is wrestling? It's a soap opera for men. If you think about it, with athletics involved, so you don't feel like you're watching a real soap opera. But that's really what it is. And as you hit the right chord, as he's done with his whole storyline, it can go on for a year. We did it with Raven and uh, Dreamer. Yeah. We did it with Raven and Salmon. You know, first we interject his wife, then we interject the kid, then his son, Tyler. I mean, it was like, we just keep expanding on the storyline and feeding into it, and people are emotionally invested in it. They're not going to, they want to see what's next. They got to see what's next. Like the guy that night said, I got to see what happens next week. I, I can't not watch. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up the soap opera because the one question that's right here in my notes, and I wish I could show you my notes, it, I've been staying away from it for 15 minutes, but I'm going to jump on it now. Will it ever grow beyond the soap opera stories and drama? I don't want it to change, but, 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 but will people change? I mean, I, I can't predict the future, but I think right now is what you're seeing is what you've always seen. And each company that comes along tries to do their own thing and put their own you know, stamp on it. Uh, I think as long as Vince is still in control there, mm-hmm. you're never going to get great storylines like you had when he left for those few months. Uh, Triple H was starting to build everything up to make it more interesting again. 
AEW, as I said, I can't stand watching people just jump up in the air, do 10 somersaults, <laughs> land on the ground, and then stand back up again. You know, they, they fall off a 10-foot ladder and they dust themselves off and go to the next spot. It's terrible. <laughs> There's got to be a podcast somewhere inside of you because I would love to sit there and listen to about 40 minutes of you telling the stories in your voice, in, in, in your passion still for this sport. Oh my gosh, that's what the book is, is me telling stories. I sat there on a uh, pot, not a podcast, on Zoom with Sean two hours a day for like yep. four days a week for like eight months. <laughs> and I just told him stories. He's the one who had to put them in chronological order because they were told out of, you know, in no order at all. Yeah. He said, tell me a Sandman story. And two hours later, I'd be telling him still one of the more Sandman stories. Uh, but that's what it is. The book, and the book reads that way. Oh. It reads as though you're just hearing me tell stories. Tom Cruise was recently asked about his legacy. He says, I'm not interested in a legacy. I just want to entertain people. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled that the legacy's already there. I mean, 30 years later, for people to still be chanting the letters, <laughs> un- it's, it's unheard of. I mean, I, who, I never expected that. So to me, the legacy's already built in. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. I'm just happy to go about my way and slowly drift off towards retirement. <laughs> Todd the God, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future, sir. Oh, it was my pleasure, guys. It really was. Oh, well, you be brilliant today, okay? You too.